0: What's up, Irish fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Slauncher Route. I'm your host, Jack Leniart, and we've got another great show for you today. Nathan Urbach joins the podcast to talk about Notre Dame football's 52-0 win over USF, the recent COVID-19 testing news that has caused the postponement of Notre Dame's game against Wake Forest, and then we finished our conversation by talking about the Notre Dame men's basketball team and the upcoming season. Now, before we get to that conversation, we have a quick word about Anchor. We now welcome back onto the podcast Nathan Erbach, formerly of Slap the Sign, um, and also you, you've seen some of his work for Irish Breakdown and Sports Illustrated. Nathan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Jack. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, glad football's back, and you know, I know both you are, both of us are Heat fans, so we're pretty happy about the NBA. <laughs> um, so it's it's kind of exciting just to have sports back with everything that's gone on in 2020. So,
0: yes, sir. We were just talking about this before before I hit record, but I mean, my God, how impressive have the Heat been in this playoff run? Um, I'm just like just giddy after after each of these games. Um, Ten and two in the playoffs so far. Oh wait, no, scratch that. Eleven and two. Um, and just one win away from the NBA finals is truly unbelievable, but it's uh it's been a hell of a ride. Um so let's jump right into it. Um Notre Dame uh kind of beat the brakes off of USF last weekend, 52 to nothing. Um, and so I wanted to start just by getting your kind of general takeaways from that game. So what really stood out to you?
1: Right. I mean, obviously, you know, South Florida is not a very good football team. Um, so 52 nothing. while maybe wasn't expected by a lot of Notre Dame fans. Um, you know, I guess the the big takeaway there is just beating up on a, you know, on an inferior opponent, which has been, a, like, I guess, a little bit more frequent, you know, over the last couple of years under Brian Kelly. So that's obviously good news there. Um, and they did it again. But, you know, I, I think the biggest takeaway from, you know, from the actual game and the performance is, is the young guys. Um, you know, you had Clarence Lewis starting that corner because of Tyreek Bracey being out. Um, and, you know, he performed very well, probably the best that they've had at, as a freshman corner. You know, I mean, Julian Love and, and uh, um, Kavari Russell, obviously great players as freshmen. Um, so, you know, he, he's right up there with them in that regard. Um, you know, Jack Kaiser coming in off the scout team with, uh, Leah Fow and Shane Simon being out, um, you know, and probably being the player of the game from the, uh, at least on the defensive side. Um, and then there's the continued, pro- continued progression from guys like Kyron Williams, you know, who we saw week one, Isaiah Foskey, um, some of the freshmen like Jordan Botello, um, Alexander Ehrensberger had that big sack, um, you know, a lot, just Chris Tyree, of course, you know, at, at running back as well. So just, you know, the continued progression from a lot of young guys, redshirt freshmen, freshmen, um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's really impressive. And I think a lot of Notre Dame fans really enjoy that because um, maybe they haven't seen as much of that as they wanted to, at least early on in the Brian Kelly era.
0: Yeah. I'm right there with you. And And when you see games like this on the schedule, that's really kind of like, you know, your first real hope is that, all right let's build a comfortable lead so that we can get our second third string guys in there just so they can get some in game experience especially in a year like this where you have um you know you lost a chunk of of time where you would have got these guys reps and practices you lost your spring game so to be able to to just jump on u s f who like you said is is a bad team so we need to we do need to put that in, in perspective and not I think that Indy is is world beaters, but I mean they they played really well and they 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 took care of business. That's what you need to do. Um, so you uh, you alluded to um, Clarence Lewis, and actually, in our our Slack chat for for slap design, I I did say he looked he reminded me of Julian Love. So I really fingers crossed, hoping that he he proves me right on that one. Um, and I think when you look at a position like cornerback, um, where, I mean, ND has had some really, really solid players in years past, but it does seem to be a position where they at times struggle to recruit kind of like those, those big blue chip players. Um, so to see guys like Clarence Lewis and a guy like, like Cam Hart, who had a pretty solid game too, um, go out there and perform well, um, I think just is. I mean, speaks the world of of the coaching staff, and just um, and uh, not only in their ability to coach these guys up, but also to identify that talent on the recruiting trail. Because that's kind of what they what they need to do at a school like Notre Dame, where you're not going to always. Um, I mean, you, you obviously it's a high profile school, so you can land some some five star players. But um, it's especially at that position, it seemed to be uh, an area where they they have struggled at least on the recruiting trail at somewhat in the past.
1: Right. Well, and I think Cam Hart specifically was, you know, I guess originally recruited as a wide receiver. He was a three-star, um, but a big kid with a lot of athletic ability. And then Clarence Lewis was one of their lower-rated guys in, the, in last cycle, um, you know, which when you really look back at it is somewhat surprising. He, he was a really dominant player in a really good New Jersey league. I mean, I think he was in the top league in New Jersey who always produces, um, you know, big-time collegiate and NFL talent. Um, and so just to see that he was so lowly, you know, kind of like lower regarded and really didn't even have, you know, I guess maybe that elite offer list either. Um, so really kudos to the Notre Dame staff and, you know, and finding him and, um, you know, and obviously they, they seem to be right so
0: far on, on both of those guys. Yeah. And I guess sticking on the topic of, um, praising Notre Dame's kind of quality depth, um, I guess we could shift to the front seven and you alluded to, to guys like Ahrensberger and, and Botello, who uh, definitely flashed. I mean, I, I, I kind of like, I jumped up and, and gave a pretty big fist pump when I saw Ahrensberger get that sack. I was like, no freaking way. That's awesome for the kid. Um, because I mean, the, the story of him coming from Germany was that, all right, he's going to be a little bit of a project. You know, we probably don't expect to see him on the field for, you know, at yeah. least a couple of years while we, while we, um, kind of get him adjusted to uh, just the overall talent level and, and kind of set that you're looking for at, you know, a big time college program like Notre Dame. So to see him and in the, in the snaps that he got um, and not just that one play where he had the sack, he just looked, he he looked pretty solid. And just with the frame that he has, um, I I can see him just being a, a, uh, I mean, I don't want to, you know, put the, the card ahead of the horse here but i could see him you know working himself into uh uh earning uh you know being drafted into the nfl when when all is said and done um but uh yeah and also just i mean other guys like we we touched on the front seven as well and you talked about jack kaiser um who had to step into the starting lineup after Maris lea and um Oh my God! I'm drawing a blank. Who is it? Shane Simon were were ruled out prior to the game on Saturday. Um, who and he just, I mean, he balled out, got the game ball, and rightfully so. He was just flashing. It seemed every time Notre Dame was on defense, um, and I know he's a guy that the the coaching staff was high on um, ever since he got to campus. So just to see him, I mean, uh, you know, not shying away from the moment and and taking advantage of that opportunity is um, is awesome. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. I think all those guys you mentioned were, um, you know, Aaronsberger, you know, obviously lower rated, you know, coming from Germany. So there wasn't a lot of film on him. Um, one of the key things with him though is the staff identified him early and I think people were, you know, when he was a recruit, people were kind of like wondering why the staff took him so early on. And, um, so again, another, you know, more kudos to a guy like Mike Elston who continues to churn out, um, You know defensive line talent. Uh, Jordan Patello obviously was was very highly regarded, so he's a kid that people are were really high on in general. Um, And then you know Clark Lee. I mean, there was a lot of worry about you know whether or not they should be going after linebackers last cycle, and even to a certain extent this cycle. Um, You know, but they're showing right now that they have a lot of depth. Um, You know, in your third string buck linebackers able to come in and that first game he plays pretty much at the collegiate level, at least from a starting standpoint, um, you know, he comes in and gets the game ball and plays super well like that. Um, you know, kudos to the staff on that again. And, um, you know, I think he was a kid that by the end of his ranking, at least on 24 seven sports was a four star. So it wasn't like he was a guy that, you know, I guess at least on certain websites, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, not going to be good. And, um, but, but like I keep saying, I mean, kudos to the staff and, you know, specifically, I guess with him on Clark Lee, you know, having faith and bringing him in just like Aaron's to a certain extent and getting on those guys early and, um, you know, really trusting their evaluations over maybe some other staff's evaluations.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move over to the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think, I mean, everyone, uh, it's hard to not be pleased with the way that they ran the ball on Saturday, but I think, um, what we saw out of the passing game kind of, at least for me, left me wanting a little bit more. And I like, understandably, like when you're able to run the ball, um, it doesn't really make much sense to to just pass for the sake of passing. So it went like when you have a team, an opponent, at least who, you know, you know that you can dominate in the trenches, you know, that it it just makes sense to want to run the ball. But, um, In the passing game, Ian Book was a little bit more efficient than he was in week one against Duke. So in this game, he was 12-19 and and threw for 143 yards. He didn't throw for any touchdowns, but he ran for three. Two of them were quarterback sneaks, um, and the first one was, um, I think it was their opening drive, a nice little scramble for four yards. Um, And, I mean, me personally, I think Ian Book has to be involved in the rushing game for Notre Dame's offense to kind of be – clicking and, and operating at, at, at their highest level. So I like seeing that even though it wasn't really a design run um, it's just a, an added threat that just, um, I mean, keeps the defense on their toes. Uh, but in the passing game um, their leading receiver was Tommy tremble. Who's a tight end. He had three catches for 60 yards. Braden Lunzie had a nice game back. He had three catches for 34 yards. But then after that, Um, I think there was only one, I think just Javon McKinley was the only other receiver that caught a pass. Um, And uh, I I know that they were, they were running a lot of sets with, with multiple tight ends. um, But that to me, just kind of like stuck out. uh, And I was just kind of like, how are we not, you know, why are the, why why don't we have any more receivers kind of showing up in, in the, in the box score um, post game. And I, I, I think we knew this was going to be in uh, an area of somewhat of concern heading into the season, especially given the news um, that they were going to be missing Kevin Austin for a stretch of time. Um, and then with Ben Escaronic going out in the first game, um, that just that hurts your depth even a little bit more. Um, we did see against you guys like Avery Davis and, and Joe Wilkins flash In the passing game, but, and now I'm not entirely sure if either of those guys were listed as inactive for USF, but either way, um, it just seemed a little bit, a little bit odd when you look back at the score. And I think really this team kind of uh, is, could really use guys like um, Skoranek and Austin back in their rotation. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, like the the most aggressive return for Austin would have been the Florida state game. I could be wrong there, but I, I like, at least as of now, I'm not anticipating him to play there. Um, but, and I'm not sure I haven't heard anything else regarding Skoranik, um And with all team activities paused, I'm not sure we're going to hear anything about him until next week at the earliest, I would assume. Um, so w- what were your impressions um of their name and their, their passing game on Saturday, night.
1: Right, right. No, I think you hit the nail on the head pretty much. I mean, obviously, you know, losing, losing Kevin Austin, uh, you know, before the start of the season and Brayden Lindsey couldn't play week one because of his hamstring um, and, you know, and then losing Ben Skoranek because of the same thing. So, you know, you lose your top three receivers or at least your perceived top three receivers, um, you know, and then week two, I think Lindsey's kind of just getting back into the swing of things, maybe isn't fully hundred percent. So that probably played a role. Um, and I know, I know you mentioned, you know, Davis and, and Wilkins, I mean, they were active, but you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, didn't really get the ball too much, um, or at all for that matter. in, in week two, um, I think the receivers as a whole have like 11 catches for like 110 yards on the season. Um, you know, and in two games, especially in a game where you score 52 points, you probably expect more. Um, but I think that's also, you know, and you kind of said this as well, you, it, it's kind of a testament to, to, to Tommy Reese, um, you know, sticking with what's working. Um, and when you're physically dominating a team, you know, in the trenches and you can just run over them all day, you know, why not stick to that? And Um, that's kind of the strength of your team right now with your receivers being out and so on and so forth. And you have, you know, three or four uh, running backs that have have really, uh, you know, started to kind of turn it on that you can really trust in any situation. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think when they start playing, you know, the elite teams and, you know, possibly even, I guess, mostly just like the Clemsons of the world who who they have on their schedule this year, if you can't run the ball, um, or if this Notre Dame team specifically can't run the ball, um, they're not going to win games. Um, I, you know, as much as I like Ian Book, you know, I, he, I don't think he's going to be a guy that, you know, if the, if the running attack is completely, is completely washed, that they're going to be able to, um, to win games, throwing the ball through the air, at least th- against a team like Clemson. So it, it's nice to see that they have this running attack and that Tommy Reese is willing to kind of stick to the rushing attack as well. Um, and hopefully that continues against the teams like Clemson because I, I I don't think they can have a one dimensional offense and and beat those type
0: of teams. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, easy to um, you know, be a run heavy offense when you're playing teams that you know you're you're better than. Um, but if you know if you find yourself in in a game where you're down a score or even down a couple scores late in the game. You can't really be beheading the ball off all that much. You got to have a way to preserve clock and, and work your way downfield as quickly as possible. Um, and I mean, fortunately for them, really, um, Clemson is the, the, the glaring opponent where they, they will probably find themselves in that situation. Um, so hopefully, I mean, by then, you know, they're anticipated to have Austin and Skoranek back. So it, the offense could look completely different. Um, all right, uh, before we wrap on this game, um, I guess I, I did want to talk about uh, special teams just really quickly. I mean, you mentioned Jordan Botello, um, and the two plays that he really kind of shined on was uh, two miscues by the USF punt unit, um, just snapping the ball over the punter's head. He ran down and just um, laid a pretty good, good hit on the punter on the first one. And on the second one, I think it was him that came up with the block or it was either him or, or Kwanu. and then Botello uh, kind of rolled on the ball and into the end zone. Um, he was technically down at the half yard line, but they gave him the touchdown and I was cool with that. Um, uh, (laughs) and then, uh, Jonathan door, he, he was one for two on field goals. He missed a 38 yarder, which is kind of uncharacteristic of him. Um, and was six to six on PATs. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a nominee for, um, oh my God. What's the, the, um, the kicking award, Lou Groza. There you go. He's an, he was on the watch list, preseason watches for him. And honestly, I, I stack him up against, you know, most any kickers in, in the power five, I, I don't think there's any reason to, to feel any less about Jonathan door after missing a 38 yard around Saturday. Um, and I think I, I'd, I'd mentioned on the previous podcast, uh, I just, I, 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 I was pretty, pretty impressed with Notre Dame special teams these first two weeks. Um, and I was talking to Ben on, on the last podcast where I, I, I just think they're going to be, uh, a, a, a game changer. Um, when you get into these, um, these closer games against tougher opponents, like that's, that can be your differentiator. Um, and, uh, I, like guys like Chris Tyree in the kick return game, I think he's he's due for one. He's looked like he's he's had a couple alleys and just hasn't been able to break it yet. But I, I think one's one's coming. Um uh it was interesting to see I I'm drawing a blank on the, the guy's name, but they had a walk-on um returning punts on Saturday, uh, which I thought was was pretty interesting and kind of you know in the mold of of Chris Fink um taking the reins there. Um not sure exactly why. Lawrence Keys wasn't back there. Was he listed as inactive? I'm getting all these guys. Lawrence Keys, yeah, Lawrence Keys. Okay, was inactive. okay. Well, that makes sense then. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, but even then, it's still sort of weird that you wouldn't necessarily have a scholarship guy. Yeah, right. Um,
0: I guess we'll see. We can we can follow that moving forward. Um, all right. So after the USF game, we move on to the news. Uh, where we arrived at the conclusion that Notre Dame would have to postpone their game against Wake Forest, which was scheduled for uh, September 26th. So the day of the game against USF, uh, in that morning, Notre Dame put out a release listing eight players who were going to be inactive for the game. One of them was Kyle Hamilton, which is due to injury, but the other seven – we're all presumably either because they tested positive or um, were asked to quarantine through contact tracing, uh, and so that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, but I guess I mean the one positive you could take away from it is like, all right, you know, these protocols are working. These players aren't going to be out there on the field with the potential to, uh, you know, spread spread the virus to their opponent or their teammates. However, uh, on Monday following the game, Notre Dame announced that they had four more players test positive and then six others who were asked to quarantine after contact tracing. And um, they didn't specify that those players uh, did not play on Saturday. So we're not sure exactly who they were, obviously, because they're not you know, just going to say, hey, this person tested positive because you know HIPAA and all that, all that stuff. Um So after that, the following day um, and this is where it got kind of confusing because they were just this news was kind of coming out pretty quickly. but then Tuesday, they said that they had oh wait, hang on, I got this all mixed up. So <laughs> the four positives were from the tests leading up to the USF game. See now I'm confusing myself. So the four positives were from the test leading up to the USF game. Then on Tuesday they announced that they had seven players test positive after the USF game, and those were the players that they did not specify were not that they you know were not in action on Saturday, which obviously is causing a domino effect, um, and Notre Dame had to ultimately make the decision to postpone their game against Wake Forest next weekend. And then, obviously, when they're sharing this news with USF, USF has to go through the film, um, you know, execute their contact tracing protocols, and then they also arrive at the decision where they're postponing their game that they were supposed to play this weekend as well. So, Notre Dame and Wake have rescheduled their game for December 12th, um, which is after... Is it their last game of the season? it's got to be yeah that would and I'm be not their sure I don't know if you know just off off the top when the the conference championship games are scheduled to be played, but I'm presuming that would also be after December twelfth um yeah, it's supposed to be that next week from my understanding. okay, so um I mean obviously this was a little bit demoralizing um at least for me it it was kind of easy for me to um I guess lose sight of, you know, kind of like the seriousness of COVID just because you kind of get swept up in, uh I mean, just kind of like watching college football and enjoying college football. So you're like, oh, Notre Dame's playing Duke. Hey, we win. Hey, Notre Dame plays USF. Oh, big one. And you just like, it feels like a return to normalcy. And then you kind of lose sight of, you know, this looming, very serious issue that, hey, there's also a super contagious virus that's still here um so how did did the debt news kind of reach you nathan
1: yeah i mean i had i was still with irish breakdown at the time um you know all this kind of came out and i had kind of gotten word prior to the even that's even before like a notre dame officially announced it so i wasn't completely shocked obviously on the uh um that you know the day of and I, I had even heard that there was the possibility of, you know, maybe some, some more positive tests coming in, um, that next week, just, you know, because of, you know, all these guys are around each other and so on and so forth. Um, I'm hoping at least from the understanding that I got with that, that those kids also didn't partake in the game, but it just wasn't officially announced cause there was no, no there wasn't necessarily like a positive test to, to go off of. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I kind of agree with you. Like, you know, you kind of get swept, you kind of get swept away with, you know. We kind of mentioned this even before we we started recording. It's you know all these sports are back, baseball's back, the NHL and the NBA, you know, are in these bubbles where they're playing, but you know they're still playing. You know, now you have college football and the NFL back, and you know you go through two weeks, and at least from from Notre Dame's standpoint, nothing had really happened. Um, you know, and up until this point, they had done really well. Um, and keeping their tests very low and you know so it kind of caught me by surprise when I first heard the news um, and then obviously you know with the postponement coming that was that was also a little shocking even though we had sort of been told that it could possibly happen after the game but um, but yeah no I mean I, I completely agree it was just a little shocking on that end and you know hopefully they're able to Hopefully, they're they're able to sort of get everything figured out and play on October 10th against uh, Florida State and go from there with no more hiccups.
0: Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned, um, I think most people are kind of anticipating there at least to be a, a handful of other positives when they release their next round of testing results, which I think should be tomorrow, um, tomorrow being Friday. Uh, but really you know, where we're going to see how well they they've kind of handled this mini outbreak is, you know, what are the numbers when they test again next week? Because right now they've paused all, all team activities. And this is kind of when, you know, the staff really has to get on, on these players and say, Hey, look, we need to take this seriously. If we don't, we risk, you know, losing the the remainder of our season. So, um, and it's it it is i mean we we talk like like i mentioned before it is just disheartening just because they i mean in the early stages um seem to be doing so well um with with their testing numbers and and keeping the the number of cases just extremely low and they even got praise from like some national sports writers who were saying hey look nordim's doing this doing this pretty well um obviously it becomes more complicated when you have student, the student body back on campus, but like, like um, some other beat writers we're talking about. Um, I think right now the total number of active cases on Notre Dame's campus, like almost 30% of them are are football players. And so it's not, right. it's not the, the student body. It's not like it's like, going like there was a spike in our Dame student body um, a few weeks back, but that those numbers have since gone down. And now um, it seems like the the football team is kind of looking a little bit more irresponsible now. Um, they can't really, you know, pass, pass the blame there. It's really solely on them. So really? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, the, the, what we see next week in the testing results is, is, is going to be pretty huge just in, just in terms of, you know, the viability of playing out the rest of the season. Um, because I mean, like we just talked about, they moved the Wake Forest game, um, to the week following their last game of the regular season, but the conference championship is the week following that. So you're running out of dates to push games to. So yeah, fingers crossed they can get this under control. Um, (laughs) and return uh, back to the football field um, when they're scheduled to play Florida state in two weeks. Um, so before we get off of football, and I did want to talk some, some uh, Notre Dame hoops with you before, before we get out of here, but I guess just in general, um, after these first two games, have your overall impressions of this Notre Dame football team changed at all? or have your, um, I guess, projections for this 2020 season, have they changed at all?
1: Um, I mean, not really. I, I think going in, I thought that they were, you know, the second best team in the, in the ACC um, for this season. And I still, I still really kind of strongly believe that, especially after, you know, watching Louisville against Miami. I thought that was a team that could maybe compete. Um, but now I'm, I'm pretty confident that Notre Dame can score points against them. Um, but no, I mean, I got, I got some confirmation on some things. I mean, obviously like the offensive line, I think we all thought with, uh, essentially everybody returning on the offensive line that they, you know, could, could make some improvements. And I think specifically after the, the, U, the USF game, um, you know, I, I feel pretty strongly about the offensive line moving forward. Um, but then, you know, you have got, you know, the running back situation, for example, that, you know, I, I was I, that was a question mark for me going into the season. And now I feel, you know, pretty good about it. So, um, you know, but then you got, but then on the, I guess on the reverse side of that, you also have the passing game that is a little worrisome, both from the wide receiver standpoint and, you know, the fifth year senior Ian book, maybe not playing up to his, um, you know, his capabilities or his standards. So um, I guess that to a certain extent, that's a little worrisome, but, um, but no, I mean, I think for the most part it's, You know, it's a team that, you know, I thought would dominate on defense. That looks like it's going to be the case, Um, you know, and and a team that, you know, was going to beat the majority of the inferior opponents by a good margin. And I think that's also the case. So I think at least after after two weeks of the season, I, I feel pretty,
0: pretty much equal about, you know, Notre Dame football, at least from what I felt going into it. Yeah, I think um, the reactions from week one and week two kind of balance each other out uh, to where I think most people are kind of back, back to where they started and saying, all right, it's all going to come down to the Clemson game. Um, I think we, like going into the season, we knew what to expect from a Clark Lee defense. We knew they were going to be, you know, very strong and they've they've proven to be just that. Um, We knew the offensive line and the tight ends were going to be very good and they've proven to be just that there was a little bit of unknown i guess at the running back position just because you know it seemed like there was a little bit of shuffle just based off what we were expecting from last season um so that's been a very pleasant surprise um and really at, at this point the, the biggest question mark is just ian book and the passing game um and the receivers uh and granted they they don't have all the receivers in the rotation right now and Hopefully they get some of those guys back soon, but I think a lot of fans were just hoping to see more out of Ian book in these first two games. And I mean, really, he hasn't really played bad, but you know, when you think of a a guy who's been your starting quarterback for, for three seasons, you, you just kind of set, you know, relatively high expectations and you're hoping to see, see him just kind of have a, a, a general command of the offense and, um, not saying he can't do that because I mean i I think he's a great football player, um, but he just it has has yet to to show it at least so far this season. So, um, so yeah, I think, like you said, pretty much I'm I'm at the same place that that I started with, with regards to to my expectations for this team to entering the season. All right, so we can put a bow on football. Let's move to some hoops talk um now notre dame was 10 and 10 in the acc last season which was tied for sixth best in the conference um and heading into this season they lose i mean the the main departures are um it's mooney and pfluger um and they also i think what was it this week or the week prior that that they announced that Carmody, um, is he out for the season or is there still hope that he can return?
1: I believe they have him at like a six to eight week time. frame. So it's, it's at least in terms of basketball, like being able to play this season, I think he still can. Um, obviously you just don't know what he's going to be like when he gets back, especially with all the injuries he has had.
0: Yeah. All right. So, I mean, uh, based on what I've seen so far, um, and just, you know, sports outlets writing about ACC basketball. A lot of people are projecting Notre Dame to be kind of in the bottom third of the ACC. Um, so I guess just right out the gate, what are your expectations as far as where you think they'll finish in the conference this season?
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I mean, we, and we kind of talked about this prior to, prior to recording as well. I was a little surprised, and I tweeted about that today. I believe, or maybe it was yesterday. Well, a little surprised that they were, you know, sort of ranked in that 12, 13, um, you know, I guess, you know, ranked 12 or 13th or ranked to finish 12th or 13th in the ACC. And, um, you know, obviously they lose John Mooney. They lose TJ Gibbs. They lose a guy like Rex Pfluger, who was sort of kind of like a heart and soul type of player uh, for them as a leader and a leader on and off the court. So, you know, they lose three, three senior captains, so that's a big deal. But then they also have this, um, you know, this 2018 class that was heralded as maybe the best recruiting class in the history of Notre Dame basketball, um, at least from a ranking standpoint. And all those guys seem to, you know, kind of make leaps last year. I mean, obviously, Prentice Hub, um, you know, Nate Leszewski kind of has the, uh, that clutch um, attribute to his game. Um, I think he hit two game-winning shots for him last year. Um, one against North Carolina, um, and another against a pretty talented Valparaiso team. Um, you know, and then you have, uh, obviously Carmody's been hurt, but then you add Cormac Ryan, who is another top, you know, 50, 60 player who transferred from Stanford, who, you know, many things can be your starting point guard, or at least your starting two guard. Um, and, uh, and then, and then you have, um. Dan Goodwin, who's kind of just been your consistent player throughout. So they have a lot of guys that are now accumulating a lot of ACC minutes um, the last couple seasons. Um, I think that they're adding in uh, three three freshmen that are actually pretty talented, even though their ranking might not suggest that. I think it's a pretty underrated uh, recruiting class, and I think all those guys have a chance to probably contribute you know, year one, um, specifically the big men. Um, and then you have um, – you know, a a Durham coming back for his, uh, presumably his last season. And, um, you know, he's another guy that, you know, is starting to accumulate some minutes. Um, he's going to have to take on a bigger role, um, than he has. I think last year he averaged about 17 minutes a game and he's probably going to have to get that to at least 25, um, in order to be, you know, super effective for them down low and, and be, a um, you know, maybe not a John Mooney type of presence per se, but, you know, you know, he's gonna have to be a lot more effective, at least on the offensive end. Um, but yeah, no, I mean I think I think they have some pieces to to kind of get this thing, you know, rolling, you know, even more than last year. And I'm a little surprised that the magazines don't really agree with that sentiment.
0: Yeah. Um I think, yeah, there there were definitely some some good things to like watching this team play last season. Um and I think a lot of people are really excited to see what Cormac Ryan can bring, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball to this team. Um, it, it seems like the guy a lot of people like to talk about is Prentice Hub, and he, I mean, at least, and admittedly, I, I didn't watch every single nerd in basketball game, but in the games I watched, I feel like he could be a little bit streaky at times, but I mean, when he's on, he's on, and he, he looks like a star in the making. So, um, I think at least for me I'm he's the guy I'm I'm watching this season to see if he can really take take that next step. Um so if let's say this next basketball season is able to continue uninterrupted, um do you think this team has what it takes to make the tournament? Yeah, no, I mean I think they definitely have the pieces.
1: Um, you know, maybe, maybe the depth is still a little shaky, but I do think they have at least more guys than they have in the past that can, that can play, um, maybe not, you know, big, you know, you're hoping that maybe you can get some, you know, five, seven minutes a game out of Nick Jogo, um, and guys like that. So, and and like I mentioned the freshmen, I think all, all three of the freshmen, um, could at least, I mean, I don't think they all will, at least, you know, that's just not how Mike Bray really operates um, or wants to operate. But um, all three of those guys, I think have, you know, the the physical capabilities early on to, uh, to contribute. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that they could improve on their, um, you know, their 10 and 10 ACC record from last year. Um, and uh and make the tournament. But uh, I will say that I think the year after that is really where I'm maybe expecting the team to sort of get back to where Notre Dame fans are used to, um, you know, and get into the, you know, that,
0: that top half of the ACC for sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I think we may have talked about this the last time that I had you on this podcast. um, But what are your general thoughts on Mike Bray with regards to, um, the remainder of his career?
1: I mean, I'm a Mike Gray guy. Um, I, I, I kind of really don't understand why some Notre Dame fans don't like him. Um, I think it's almost like this perception that Notre Dame basketball is supposed to be like Notre Dame football at times, which uh, at least from a recruiting standpoint and the fact that they've only, you know, made the final four, I believe one time um, and, you know, no no national championships or anything like that, there shouldn't be this perception that they need to be, you know, an elite eight team or something like that every season. Um, And, and, you know, and in Mike, in Mike Bray's tenure, I mean, they make the tournament more often and not more often than not. And then I would say in the last, you know, 10 years or so they've, you know, they've gotten to where they should have more often than not as well. So um, no, I mean, I think Mike Bray can stay the Notre Dame head basketball coach as long as he wants to. Um, And I think that's how Notre Dame feels about it too. So this whole idea that they need to move on from Bray from a fan standpoint and different things like that, I think is a little, uh, a little overblown and, um, you know, he might not necessarily get the, uh, um, support of some of the fan base that he really deserves. And it, it's not like a Brian Kelly situation. I think that there's actually a, maybe an overwhelming majority of the Notre Dame fan base that for whatever reason, doesn't like Brian Kelly as the football coach. Um, but I would say that there's just like there's there's this weird like 25% of the basketball fan po- fan base that absolutely hates Mike Bray, but the majority of them actually really enjoy him. But uh, I think we all we all understand that negativity seems to to overblow on uh,
0: on social media over positive stuff. So that's kind of where that comes from. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, and I think what what you said um, is spot on. At least where you specified that it is from a fan perspective, because I, I think I. I've, you don't really see Mike Bray getting, getting trashed by, by any writers in the national media. There's nothing but praise um, when that comes to talking about him. Um, and I think just when you have coaches at these, at schools where another sport is, you know, the, the main sport that, that, that fans are following. Um, and they're also able to, you know, kind of produce like Mike Bray did when he, won the ACC and then took the team to -to back-to-back elite eights. Um, They, I mean, you, it's hard to not like what he's done. Um, I guess you can draw comparisons to um, a guy like David Cutcliffe, who's over at Duke where basketball is a star at that school, but he's still built a very solid program. And so when you have sports writers talking about him, it's like all praise because like his job is not easy. This is not an easy job. This is not a job that people want because you're being overshadowed by the basketball program. Same thing for um, uh, the Kentucky football coach. I'm a blank. It's it's something Stoops, right? Uh, yeah, but, it's, it's Stoops' brother. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, one of the Stoops. Um, so, uh, but he, in in the success that the Kentucky football program has had um, in recent years, uh, I mean, they he gets nothing but praise because again, it's like. That's not a job that a lot of people want. I mean, yes, it's in the SEC, but then again, it's also in the SEC. You got to play SEC opponents, and you're also at the same time being overshadowed by your basketball program. So I think there's a lot of parallels between those two guys and Mike Bray, where um, you're not the main act at your school, um, and because of that, it, it, you face tougher challenges when it comes to recruiting and stuff like that. But to be able to produce, I mean, it's you just it, it's hard to. Um, like, yeah, I'm I i I'm with you where I don't really understand, um, I guess, kind of the expectations that some fans place on him and then, you know, get mad that he can't reach them. Um, but I think, like you mentioned, um, he has kind of earned the right to retire on his own terms, and I get the feeling that the university feels the same way. Um, uh, but it will be interesting to see uh, if this, at least, you know, you talked about how, how great the, um, the, was it 2017 recruiting class was, uh, 2018, 2018. Yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, it's not completely, um, crazy to think that, Hey, maybe he views this as his last kind of push for a, you know, a nice little tournament run, you know, once these guys graduate, then he starts to contemplate, you know, the next moves in his career. Um, and whether or not he wants to retire, uh, But yeah, so glad we got the chance to talk hoops. Um, Every time I have you on as a guest, I want to always want to pencil in some time to do that. So (laughs) glad we got the chance to to break that down and hoping that unlike football season, basketball is able to operate smoothly and as scheduled, and um, that we do get a NCAA tournament. um, Because man, (laughs) that was I mean that was kind of like the first big big blow when yeah you know coronavirus really started to to bloom and in, in the united states was the cancellation of the tournament and that's when it kind of at least in the minds of of you know just general sports fans that's when it kind of really sunk in. like oh this is this is something serious um so yeah uh really hoping we get to see uh, a season when it comes to college basketball all right nate um thanks again for taking the time to to join the podcast. Uh, do you want to tell the audience where they can follow your works?
1: Yeah. So right now I'm, uh, right now I'm sort of a free agent on the, uh, the writing market. So um, you can find me and follow me on Twitter. My, my, uh, my new handle is just Nathan under, underscore Erbach. That's E-R-B-S and boy A-C-H. Um, but other than that, right now, I'm sort of just uh, focusing on, you know, my career a little bit more and, um you know doing some podcasting so i know i know that's probably why you were able to reach out to me this time and get me on but uh um might be starting i'm kind of starting a new co-hosting podcast with uh Nick Nick Shipkowski um out of 670 the score in Chicago um and he also writes for uh Fighting Irish Wire i believe it's called um on USA today um so he uh you know big Notre Dame fan and big Chicago sports fan he is as well so um, I'm, I'll be doing some stuff with him and, uh, other than that, I'm just going to be staying active on social media and stuff for the time being until I find a little bit more free time
0: to, to explore more Notre Dame writing opportunities. Awesome. Hey, well, Hey, if you ever want to moonlight for slap the sign, just for, you know, appearance every now and then I'm sure the door is always still open. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. I've already, I've had some uh, preliminary discussions with Ben. About that. Hey, yo, there we go. All right. Well, great talking to you and hope to have you back on the podcast again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jack. No problem. Thanks again to Nathan for taking the time to join the podcast today. If you want to support his work, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Nathan underscore Erbach. Since the football team will be off the next two weekends, I'm planning on recording my next podcast the week of October 10th when I will hopefully be previewing Notre Dame's matchup against Florida State. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at TheSlaunchARoute for information about all upcoming episodes. Thanks again for listening, and as always, Go Irish!